So today we are starting a new series on hope. It's only four weeks, but it's really good to start with something like that at the beginning of the year. We're thinking about what is biblical hope, what does it mean, and why does it matter? Um, and also, what are we hoping for? Now, we're not going to do all of that today. We've got four weeks to cover that. In the Bible, we're told in Jeremiah 17, verse 7, that those who hope in the Lord are happy. So that's that first one. Romans 15, 4 tells us that all that was written in the past, that's in the, in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, um, was so that we might have hope. And do you know what I've realized? that I have a PowerPoint that I haven't put up. He's not in, is he? Where's Rob? Could you um, go get my keys and take it upstairs? <laughs> Sorry, I don't need it for a bit. It's fine. <laughs> um, Romans 15, Paul prays for the Roman church that they might be overflowing with hope. And the book of Hebrews tells us faith without which we can't please God, we know that, is confidence in what we hope for. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. So that is really important. In 2 Thessalonians 2.16, it says hope comes from comes as a gift from God through grace. And that the Holy Spirit... The gift we receive upon confession of faith is also a source of hope. It tells us in Romans that this uh, Holy Spirit is the source of hope. His power causes hope to abound. So hope can be thought of as an aspect of faith which leads to salvation. It's a catalyst for joy and it's certainly worth building up in our lives and praying that we would have more of it in 2017. Thank you. (laughs) Goodness knows we need it, um, as individuals and as a country. I'm a bit all over the place. My first day back after Christmas. (laughs) So we're going to look at, so why is hope important to us emotionally as human beings? Okay, here we go. Is this going to work? Nearly. All right, give it a minute. Well, I'm going to start by saying, this seems like a bit of a tangent, but I love reading fantasy books, okay, about fantasy worlds. At the moment, I'm in this 10-volume mammoth epic tale called The Wheel of Time. Anyone read it? Oh, look at the geeks in the house. (laughs) It's so, so addictive. I can't help myself. But in this world, it's another world, and um, the writer of it, he explores the idea of, of a cycle of time that continually repeats itself. And the main character is like the hope of it all. He's the one that can overcome the dark one, the father of lies. Um, and in it, he kind of weaves in rebirth. But he puts in this idea that the person who's chosen, unlike other kind of, um, kind of imaginary tales, he doesn't want to do it. Okay. Very exciting. Fantasy films and books and stories, they involve adventure, don't they? Battles and journeys. Um, They are supernatural worlds, but most importantly, they involve hope. 
Now, one suggestion why these sorts of genre is so popular uh, for adults and kids is that it's about escapism. That if you've got a dull job or you're at school every day or you're feeling stressed, you can escape into this world of elves and magical creatures. Um, And you don't have to think about homework or housework because you're totally lost in this imaginary world. Um, And that's probably the reason why fantasy is is such a broad character. It kind of unites everybody. And we get our first sort of genre like that when we start very little and get told a fairy tale. We're really engrossed in it. And most of the popular films are fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, obviously there were books before, um, Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter. They're all uh, looking at an alternative world where good battles evil and ultimately good overcomes. Now, C.S. Lewis, he obviously wrote this style, this genre, didn't he? Because he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And he was often criticised for that because they were like, well, you know, you shouldn't be making up some imaginary thing. What people need is truth. But um, he said something quite interesting. Let's see if we can find it. He said, these types of stories awaken an innate desire for something beyond. Um, So innate being something that's not taught, it's instinctive, it's unlearned, it's a natural part of being human. And when you read this stuff, C.S. Lewis was hoping that that would awaken something within people to realise that they do have this innate desire for something else, something beyond You know, what are we desiring? What are we looking for? What are we hoping for? What that is will affect how we act today. It's really important. For example, if tomorrow you know you're going on holiday, it will affect today, probably because you feel excited. You'll probably pack your bags. You'll be telling people. You'll be chilling out from work and think, I don't need to think about that. You won't be going to bed tonight stressing about what you need to do tomorrow at work you're on holiday. It's gone. If you're in an incredibly dull job uh, packing something like this, and you know you'll be doing that for life, you're going to have a very different mental attitude to that job to someone who knows that you've only got to do this for a couple of weeks, and then they get promoted to this post, and then this post, and then ultimately this post. You're going to have a different attitude to it. You're going to have a different emotional state as you go to work. If you know that you're moving house in six months' time, maybe to another country, you're not going to spend time decorating the house you're in, buying a nice sofa, ooh, dreaming about an extension you might build. No, you'll be thinking about where you're going. You'll be starting to learn that language. And for some people... Life beyond this life is nothing more than a dream. It's something childish. It is a story, a fairy tale. It's a fantasy world that fools believe. And they ask the question, very rightly, I think, why isn't it enough just to accept, look, there's no future. Just get on with today, embrace it, live for today, make your life count. Make your existence matter because you haven't got long. And then we have to ask, well, why indeed? You know, why is it that our souls 
Like C.S. Lewis wrote, we delight in the idea of something else. We want something more. We're dreaming of another. Believing in nothing beyond this um, is inviting. You know, the idea, okay, there's nothing here, so just live life to the full, stop passing the buck. Um, No one's going to argue against that. We all want to live life to the full. We want to embrace it, make the most out of it. We want to bring about change, pull together, stop waiting for someone else to fix the problem. We have to get on and do it. Um, Theresa May will use her because she's, you know, contemporary. In her acceptance speech, she talked about building a better Britain. And and she went on for years, didn't she, about Brexit means Brexit and we're going to make it a success. (laughs) Um, But she spoke of a country that works for all, not just for the privileged few. She was trying to instill hope in the country for something better despite 50% of them being very disappointed. Uh, Donald Trump recently elected, very contentious, but his campaign was Make America Great Again. Again, when you're starting to campaign for something, you give them hope. You want to build a picture of what it might look like. But sadly, as humans, we've seen that promises don't mean anything. We become very cynical. We don't really believe our politicians because we know that, humanly speaking, there isn't a lot that they can do. We have our hopes crushed. We become cynics. And we can become a bit overwhelmed and want to check out. However, it is still important that what we imagine is going to happen... To live positively and effectively, to be motivated, to live to the full, to make changes, we need to anticipate something better here in the future. There was a man named, um, he's still alive, Andrew Debunko. He's a, um, a funny name, isn't it? He's an American academic, um, and he wrote about the importance of hope. I don't know if I've got it. Ah, there it is. He said, hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all of our getting and spending amounts to fidgeting while we wait for death. (laughs) How miserable is that? (laughs) Well, he's he's not a Christian. (laughs) Um, But I guess, you know, if you're waiting for retirement or you're waiting to relax or be happy... He was talking about the American dream and the kind of culture that you work really hard because it will make you happy. You work really hard because you'll retire. You work really hard because this will happen in the future. And he was saying, you know, this hope is um, kind of covering up the fact we're just waiting to die. (laughs) Christian views about hope um, can invite a lot of debate. You know, you often find Christians, don't you, debating about what's going to happen in the future. You know, how should we read the Bible? Is it literal? Is it not? What will the timescale be? How will it happen? What, you know, what will it look like? And people watching us can become very critical. They say we're too focused on then and not enough on now. It becomes a kind of pie in the sky when you die and a checking out, a giving up. And, and you can realize, you can understand why they say that when you can sometimes, has been heard of some Christians saying, 
uh, something ridiculous like, well, global warming doesn't really matter because God's just going to remake the earth anyway. So why wouldn't they look and say, you know, it's just escapism? But I would argue quite the contrary. Rather than emotionally and mentally checking out, dreaming of another place, separate from here, the Christian is inspired to action as they see themselves as agents of, un- of the unveiling of God's kingdom and reign that will last beyond the grave. It's not just getting and buying until we die. It's something far beyond that lasts for eternity. One of the most famous speeches given by a Christian was that of Martin uh, Luther King, who his I Have a Dream. Um, and he was dreaming of a place of equality between blacks and whites where there was respect um, and in, uh, dignity and equality, where good has triumphed over evil. And, um, you know, he could barely have dreamed of maybe a black president, and we're still a long way from that. But his dream was not motivated by human um, goodness, an idea of humans getting better and better and rising above it all. But his dream was motivated by his faith in the resurrection and work of Jesus Christ. His faith was, his dream was motivated by a reality that he saw in eternity. God's kingdom, God's way of doing things. So as we come to consider hope over the next four weeks, it is vitally important that we understand what or who we are hoping in. And that will affect our emotions, our actions for today not just the distant future. There he is. (laughs) So what's Christian hope? If you were to ask most people, just have a little think in your brain now, what is hope? Okay, so they might say, this this is what the dictionary says, a feeling of expectation and a desire for a particular thing to happen. This is ordinary human concept of hope, a desire for something good in the future. It's a good definition, but you cannot plonk it in the Bible. Biblical hope is very different to human hope. Biblical or Christian hope is about certainty, not uncertainty. It's not, I hope, I win the lottery, or I hope it won't rain, or I hope I will pass this exam. Biblical hope is to know what will happen with certainty. To know what will happen. So we can decide, define it as a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen, but biblical hope, a confident expectation and desire for good to happen. It is something that is confident that will happen. We can see hope as a kind of dimension of faith in um, Hebrews chapter 1. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So wherever there is full assurance of hope, there is faith. 
Faith is assurance of hope. Faith is future tense hope. Hope's not wishful thinking, fingers crossed, but confidence. And the enemy, enemy of faith is doubt. Grasping, clinging, holding on to God for a future. You see, saving faith is not just a belief in the past. It's not just about saying, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. That's part of it. But I tell you, the devil knows this. But he doesn't do anything with it. Hope is the part of faith that goes forward and trusts in God for the future. We can think of it as future tense faith. It's not simply knowing, but it's doing. So what does biblical slash Christian hope look like? We're going to look at Romans chapter 4, verse 18 to 24. So you can look that up, or you can read it on there. But you probably want to move a bit by now, so it's probably best to look it up. A little wiggle. (laughs) Right Okay, it says, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it's been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded, fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why... Be the next bit. (laughs) This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. So at first, it can seem really confusing. The very first line says, against all hope, Abraham in hope. Hope, hope? Well, it's a great example of that idea of general hope, the biblical hope. The biblical hope, the confident expectation and desire for good. Abraham was confident, it says, that God would do what he'd said he would do. And that's the basic of it, is it? Do you believe God will do what he says he will do? Abraham stood against worldly hope. He wasn't stupid. It says he knew that his body was as good as dead. That Sarah also was there too. You know, making a baby, he could hardly make it out of tent for a wee in the night. (laughs) You know, and Sarah and Abraham, they may not have sat through GCSE science, but they knew that an old lady did not have a baby. And when you read that account in Genesis, Sarah says old a lot. The closest thing perhaps to romance these two got was scratching an itch on each other because they were too stiff and old to actually get there anymore. But against this fact, 
shocked. This hopeless situation, Abraham has hope. And it's not in circumstances, it's not in science, it's not in a young wife, it is in God. And it changes everything. And in our situations, we might not have reason to have any hope. We don't need any reason for hope. Our hope is only based on God and his word. It's not about how we feel today. It's not about how we rationalize the situation and the plans that we make to help us think our way into hope. It's not about what we want to happen, our desires and the actions we take. It is about only God, what he is able to do and what he has promised to us. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go there on feelings. He didn't want to. But it says, for the joy set before him, the hope set before him, the promise of reconciliation between humans and man. So what about us? How do we increase our hope? If hope is a gift, is that even possible? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. In here it says, But since we belong to the day, that's when Jesus returns for his church, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Now's the, now's the moment. <laughs> Right, you ready? <laughs> okay, I think I'm going backwards. <laughs> and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Okay? The hope of salvation as a ho- helmet. We need to put it on. It guards our minds in Christ Jesus. Is that a familiar voice? A verse even? What we think about a situation, we need to train our minds to hold on to the promises of God. It says that Abraham waited, waited long and he endured patiently. This wasn't a sort of situation, was it? He needed to put on the hope helmet to guard his mind. Romans, oh, well, I've missed one out, sorry. Romans 8 and verse 5 to 7 is the next one. Romans 8 and verse 5 to 7 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit, remember what the spirit does, it gives hope, is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It is the mind, Paul is saying, where the war, the battle is for hope. 
You've got a fight with yourself. You can choose to believe hopelessness, that you are useless, that you are a failure, that this is not real, that this will never happen. Well, you can get your helmet on in the morning, Sarah, she wants to laughing, <laughs> and you can fill your mind with hope. It is a choice. Romans 12, verse 2, you all know it, probably. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the Bible is telling us he is good. God is good. He has good plans for you. He has good gifts for you. He has a good future for you. Anything can change except for God. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The God of Abraham is our God. The God of Abraham helped a woman who was practically dead and a man who was practically dead have a baby. We're in a battle, and God will bring that good stuff to you. He has made his promises. He wants good in your life, good for you. He has a hope and a future. There is an eternity where Jesus will come and he will reign, and there will be equality, and there will be um, dignity between human beings. That will happen, but for now... We can choose how we live. Our minds are open to it. So we can live with expectant hope, and hope brings joy. Okay, of all that God has for you, He is good and perfect, He is faithful, He is powerful. You can live your life in that place, or you can wait for that in hopelessness. Letting the devil destroy you, tell you it's a waste of time. It will never happen. We need to get rid of that thinking. In the Bible, it tells us to build each other up. That's what we're doing. When we text someone in our house group a nice verse of the day and says, I've been praying about you and this is the verse. That is what you're doing. You're renewing their mind and you are building their hope. And when you sit down in the morning for your quiet time and you read God's word and you say, speak to me, you are building up a bank of hope. Proverbs 13, 12. Do I have that? Oh, I do. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, I don't have this one. Proverbs thirteen twelve says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. This is not something you hope for. This is biblical certainty. If we put it off, we become sick. Our souls become sick. If we don't grasp it, grab it, hold of it, we become sick. But when we grab hope, when we firmly put it on our heads in the morning or when someone texts us or as we're dancing around the kitchen, it's like a tree of eternal life. Last one. 43 verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You've got to get up and preach to yourself, not just each other. 
You know when you're feeling a bit miserable? Do you know what I like to do? Get the worship music on and flip and dance around the house. <laughs> because we are in a battle. We need to preach truth to ourselves and as a church to each other. When you're seeing someone who says, I'm having a really tough time. Yes, by all means, empathize. It is tough. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't stop them feeling the way they are. The reality of what you're in in that situation doesn't change. But you can say to them, but you have a God who loves you. You have a God who promises he will work in this for good. You can say to them, you have a God who has promised a hope and a future and a blessing for you. When they say, this will never happen, you say, you have a God who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ever hope for or even imagine. That is where you're coming in to fight for that person's mind. Every biblical message should bring hope. It should be joy. It should be your reservoir. So when life is dealing you a particularly rubbish time, you have got a big reservoir here. And if you haven't, I can't even find one, sorry, I can't even find one. If you haven't got a Bible and you've not opened your Bible, your reservoir is going to be like this. We've got to draw resources from God's word, God's truth, God's power. The normal Christian life is a fight, and it often happens in the mind. Let's pray together.